welcome. It's our next episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. I'm Chris Clements. Today we've got Jonathan Kaiser, the one and only, the great and awesome Jonathan, Jonathan Kaiser. Um, because we're about, you know, we have three pillars here, faith, freedom, free enterprise. Right. And, and he might be one that embodies all three. Yeah. Yeah. One of our few guests. And definitely the free enterprise. Yeah, the free enterprise, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, you guys tell this to great. all your guests, don't you? No, no not really. But you're special. I mean, you you had a remarkably successful career, um, and still a young guy. So you've got I'm just a baby. Lot lot of lot of room to go, or a lot of place to go, a lot of places to go. Anyway, you get the sky's the limit. Both work. So yeah. both work. Um, tell us a little bit about your background for the those of our viewers and listeners who may not know who you are. Sure. And for the record, you are on TV as well. Good. So you're going to look at me. <laughs> so no, you don't, you don't, you don't have no, to you look have to. there. Hi, but. I'm Jonathan Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a, uh, I've had an interesting upbringing. My, the reason I'm from Arizona is because my grandparents picked up their family and drove across the country from Nebraska to, Arizona because my grandfather felt called to help the Apache Indians. He felt like they were the most underserved community in all of America, and he hmm. wanted to help them. So he came over. Uh, he was a, a missionary, and he translated the Bible into Apache along with a group of other people, started two churches, and so my mom grew up on the Apache Indian Reservation. And so that's how my, when my parents met at a Christian university, Biola, uh, hmm. at the time Grand Canyon didn't have the cachet that uh, it does today and um shortly after they got married i was born and then a few years later the church that they were attending asked them if they wanted to be missionaries in papua new guinea so they picked up our family packed up all of our things into this huge wooden crate and shipped us across the world to papua new guinea so i grew up there until i was 11 uh, which was a cool experience but the downside of that is when we got back, I had this distinction occur to me. I had this realization that for the first time in my life, I realized that we were poor. And my parents had taught me to love, serve, give, help, pay it forward, always turning the other cheek and helping somebody else. But when I got back and I realized, oh, so doing that leads to the poor house. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't wanna be poor. So I decided to live a life for me. And I got into commercial real estate after going to, to UCLA for school. Sorry, I know. That's your rival. I know. Hey, Terry Donahue. I know. R.I.P. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. R.I.P., baby. All, nothing but respect. Nothing but respect. He was a good man. Good man. Um, but when I got back uh, to, uh, to, from class one day, and I was at, I think I was a junior in college, and I was going to be a, a, an attorney because mm. my dad said, Jonathan, you're really good at arguing. You should be an attorney. <laughs> and that was literally the career direction I had been given. And so, uh, so my favorite professor, I'm, at, I'm after class at his office hours, and he says, Jonathan, you don't want to be an attorney. And I'm thinking, well, shoot, man. That's what I'm kind of up to here. I said, well, what should I be? And he said, I have no idea, but it should be something more entrepreneurial. I had to go look up the word entrepreneurial. I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> And so now I hear I am rudderless, not knowing what to do. So I go to this job fair, spam out my resume, and I get a whole bunch of letters back. 
and I pin him up on this cork board that I had in my uh, in my bedroom. And a, a buddy of mine came over and he pulled one of the letters off, handed it to me, and he said, "Do you want your own private jet someday?" And I said, uh, yeah, I would like my own private jet someday. And he said, do this. And it was a commercial real estate firm. So I got into commercial real estate because I wanted to make money. And as I got in, I realized really quickly, wow, this is a cutthroat, take no prisoners. It is the opposite of how my parents raised me. But again, remember, I didn't want to be poor like my parents. And I thought they didn't have it figured out. So I became cutthroat and ruthless, but I was miserable, man. And I, I hated who I was becoming, but I felt trapped because I wanted the success. I wanted the money. I wanted the the accolades, I wanted it all, but I still felt you know, completely conflicted with who I really was. And then 18 years ago, I go to this conference and this sort of nondescript speaker gets up and he starts talking about a different way of doing business, a way of succeeding by helping others succeed. And I was, or by helping others succeed. And I was fascinated. Hmm. And I said, first of all, I thought, this guy's completely full of crap. You know, like there's no way, but I, pay attention. I went up to him afterwards and I said, Hey, so does this really work? Like, how, how does this actually work? Because you sound like my dad, you know, help and love and serve and give. And he, and he explained it to me in this, in this context. He said, Jonathan, right now, what you're doing is hunting. You got to get up every day, grab your shirt. Sorry to all the vegetarians out there. I got to, got to get, get your weapon, kill your prey, skin it, eat it next. What I'm describing is more like farming. So like here in Scottsdale, I have a, I have a lemon tree. And when it was little, you know, didn't have a lot of fruit on it and it was kind of fragile and I had to put a little fence around it and the bugs would try to eat it and water it all the time and stuff. But now this thing, I mean, if you guys ever need lemons, just come to my house because <laughs> I got more lemons than I know what to do with. And he described that as the business model. He said, the more people you help, the more people you invest in, the more people you love on, the more people you serve, the more it comes back to you. And I said, well, man, that sounds like my dad. I go, but if that's really true, then why is nobody else doing it? And he said, because it takes too long. And I said, well, how long is too long? And he said, well, it'll take you four to five years of reinventing yourself. And I thought, okay, so four to five years of reinventing myself. I don't have to be in this personal hell of feeling like a used car salesman all the time. I decided to do it. Hmm. And man, I'll spare you the details, but that was a brutal, long, hard road. I threw my old business plan away. I started getting involved in the business community. I started helping everyone that I could. I asked everybody the same question. How can I help you? How can I help you? And I was helping people find jobs. I was helping their kids get internships. I was connecting people. I was helping other people get, get business for their own companies. I was doing everything except for what I was supposed to be doing as a commercial real estate broker, which is going and getting business. And meanwhile, my firm that I was with at the time, not the firm that I now run, but the old firm that I was at, they weren't too happy about this dramatic change in production because, you know, Prior to that, early on in my career, I was, you know, rookie of the year for Grubb and Ellis nationally. And, you know, people thought I was kind of on a fast track. And all of a sudden, here I am, you know, like I hit my head or something. People thought I'd gone off the deep end. But I could feel it. You know, I could feel it coming. And I could feel that every act of service that I, that I had provided in the community was building something. I could feel the positive momentum of it. I could feel the karma, if you want to use that term. And so I just kept doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Everybody lost faith in me. Even my wife was like, hey, Jonathan, you know, you're, you're, you're not an idiot. You work really hard. Like, but the, look at our bank account. Like, this isn't reconciled. Trust me, I'm up to something, you know? So anyways, long story short, after about five years, just like he predicted, all of a sudden, it felt like all of a sudden, even though it was five years, yeah. people started referring business to me. 
and it was business that was good business. And I started, whoa, this actually works. Like these people that I'd asked nothing from and I had just helped, now it's coming back. You can't outgive the universe, right? And that gave me more to help other people with. So it turned, it just, I went from laughing stock to top producer kind of overnight. And now I had a new problem. And the new problem was now here I am trying to build this culture of selfless service within a traditional commercial real estate firm. Right. And that created more and more friction and more rub until one day I was really frustrated. It was, it was June of 20 of, uh, June of 2012. And I go to Sedona with my wife. I get up early in the morning on a Saturday morning. I'm down in the hot tub. Nobody's around little, like it's just perfect. It was like one of those idyllic settings and I'm staring at the mountains and all of a sudden it hits me and it's like, Jonathan, you're thinking too small. I'm like, okay. Um, and I thought, what if you could teach other people how to do what you've done? It's like, okay, yeah, I could probably do that. And then it was like, what if you had an entire firm that all they did was serve and love? I thought, wow, that'd be amazing. I'm like, but I don't know anything about starting my own firm. Like, I'm just a commercial real estate guy. What do I know about this? And then the voice in my head said, if not you, then who? And in that moment, I realized that all of this crazy upbringing from being a missionary kid. I mean, as a missionary kid, I had to sit and watch, in Papua New Guinea, sermons are four hours long. And they're in a language I don't speak. So, and, and I, as the missionary kid, you know, have to sit on the floor, completely quiet. Otherwise, I can't be the bad behaved one. Right. So I learned to watch people. I learned to watch communication that was nonverbal. And I watched as people persuaded other people of very important things like faith. And, all, and that plus everything else and the, you know, the trials and tribulations at my last firm and the, pro, the brutal process of reinventing myself. And I realized that I had been given an opportunity. I'd been being trained for this mission of changing the industry. And then I thought even bigger and I said, whoa, Commercial real estate is not the only ruthless industry. What if I could change the the world? Sure. So I took out my pad, made a list of all the things I liked about commercial real estate, which was very short. All the things I disliked about commercial real estate, and then all the things I wished would be true, like a utopian view. And out of that, we created 15 core operating principles, launched our firm in January of 2013, built on the mission of changing the industry through selfless service and proving that you don't have to be ruthless to win and Today we're, you know, Inc. 5000 company, multiple years, best places to work. USA Today just named us the industry disruptor. Um, my book just hit number one on the Wall Street Journal list a couple years ago. So it's just been this extraordinary run and, and, and Kaiser is just made up of just amazing people, just people that care, people that want to serve, people that want to help, people that actually care and want to want to do the best they can versus just the bare minimum like the industry. So. It's been an extraordinary journey, and I feel like we're just getting started. That's awesome. <clears throat> I, th I feel like, and one of the things that, I, that, that I've felt about you over the years, and you know, we met, what, 2015 or 14? I would say 14, 14 probably, probably, yeah. Um, we sat in the Steve Hardison conference room. I remember, yeah. I remember the meeting. Yeah, um, and the... There's a there's a certain life and energy that you you exude, um, which clearly was a part of that transformation process that you went through. How has that 
helped you attract the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with mm -hmm. that, that are part of your culture? That's a great question um, in a lot of ways because <clears throat> initially, so I'll answer it two different ways. Initially, when people didn't know who we were or what we were about, the attraction was pretty pure, right? When people heard about what we were doing. I still remember when we were designing our website and it was filled with our principles and love and serve and all this stuff, you know? That was what we were really about. And I remember my finger was hovering on the mouse over send to send it to go live to our web developer. And I remember thinking, I better just read this website start to finish one more time, hmm. just so I can know what I'm sending out into the universe. And I read it, brought tears to my eyes, but I thought, oh my gosh, every other commercial real estate firm is going to laugh their butts <laughs> off when they read this. They are, screw it, that's who we are, send, you know? And so in the beginning, people were attracted to the purity of the message. But what I found is as we gained momentum, and as we built a brand for ourselves, and as people recognized what we were up to, we started attracting people that we had to use more discernment on, that were coming because they saw our success, and they were really good at acting right. like they cared about the principles. So that's actually one of the biggest, I think that's the biggest challenge of our, of our, of our effort. I call Kaiser the grand experiment. We're doing something that's never been done. It, this whole idea of building a commercial real estate firm on 15 cooperating principles of selfless service and, 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 and living or dying by it, you know, at the end of the day, what's been interesting about the pandemic is it's caused me to do some pruning because, you know, anybody can, anybody can play the game or put on an act for a certain period of time, but when the pressure cooker kicks in, that's when you start to see what really people are made of. So I've made some changes and, you know, having someone like a Carol come on board to lead our retail team is a perfect example of the pruning occurred before then and it created an opportunity yeah. for us to attract the right person. So, you know, for me, it's not been a perfect journey. It's been a learning journey for me of making wrong decisions on people, you know, of, one trying to in quotations rehabilitate right you either want to live this way or you don't yeah right and then two is having the discernment to make the tough decisions when revenue's on the line and saying yes i know that that there might be revenue that we all depend on from this individual but they're just not the right fit and we have to make a change so but every time i've done that i've never regretted it so you're you're talking about not just internally but you've had to reassess even your customer base a hundred percent so there was I mean, one customer in particular i won't say who it is obviously but there was one customer who was, that's that's a that's even a harder deal brutal i would i would imagine it's brutal actually because you think they're actually, talking a good game to you and you're like wait a second I personally, maybe it's just me because I just love people and I see the positives in people versus sure. the flaws because God knows I have endless flaws. Um, but for me, the people, the internal people, the Kaiser people that we've had to part ways with are the hardest. But the customers aren't far behind because, you know, at the end of the day, we're providing a valuable service. And so 
if people just are doing it to try to take advantage of us and use us like a vendor because we'll give more, that's demoralizing for our people. That's demoralizing for you know the rest of our clients, and it hurts the bottom line. So I think part of selfless service is not just helping everybody that asks. You have to have discernment. You have to look at where your service is going to be appreciated, where it's going to have the highest impact, and where it's going to help you accomplish your objectives, right? We're in business here. It's not just, my message is not just do the right thing because it's the right thing. Everybody already knows that it's the right thing to help people, right? I'm trying to connect for people, give and you shall receive, right? Connecting those and saying, I believe that the greatest business principle of all time is selfless service. And that the more you give, the more you get. Now it's the long game and you have to be patient, but my life is extraordinarily different than it was before. I spend my time helping, loving, serving, and we have more business than we know what to do with, right? Like it's, it's just an extraordinary thing. So my message to the world is, you know, the name of my book is you don't have to be ruthless to win. What if no matter where you are, no matter what industry you were in, what if you could replicate this? And so that's what we do is we teach through the Kaiser workshops and such, we teach people how to actually implement them in their business for themselves. Now, what, what, what sort of response have you received in, in these years from, uh, you mentioned the development of your website and how you're about to press send and, oh, the, the commercial real estate environment will look at this like it's a joke. Yeah. So what has been that response from the grub analysis of the world, from the yeah. Cushman Wakefields of the world? Yeah. I think that, well, twofold. Number one, there's a group of them that still think I'm completely full of crap. Gotcha. And I respect that, right? Because <laughs> sure. it sounds ridiculous. And I, and I totally get that. Um, but there's a lot of them who, when they interact with us, they understand that, that this isn't a shtick for us. Um, that, and, I, I guess that would be the cynic sort of response initially. Like, this is just, yeah, this is too good to be true. This is this. You know, it's a good angle. It's a good angle yeah, yeah. to get into Well, that's what I right. thought when I heard it the first time, too. Sure. Right? I was a skeptic. So for me, it's like I'm not – when I when I started this thing, I assumed that we would be attracting the, like, 20% of the business community, and 80% would think we were crazy, and 20%. And I was good with that. I'm like, I'll just take the 20% that aligns with this. Right. What I found is it's actually the opposite – I was actually a little bit early in this whole global movement of what I now call conscious capitalism that I'm very involved with, by the way. And, you know, we're in John Mackey, who was the one of the co-founders. He is a good friend and he wrote about us in his recent book, Conscious Leadership, um, as the one in So there's people in all these different industries that are trying to make a material impact like we're trying to do in commercial real estate. And so I feel like now it's much more in vogue to be saying the things I'm saying. But when we started it, it was not. Right. Right. And so and so it was very much in the face. And I had to tell my people, I'm like, look, we're not out to win popularity contests. We're out to do what we think is right. And you're always going to have, have haters. You're always going to have people that think you're, they think you're full of crap. That's okay. Right? As long as you remain pure to what you're up to, that's all that matters. And what's been cool is the other benefit of being so over the top on intentional messaging about what you're really about is we never tried to sound like anyone else. 
So our message is very, very fresh in the industry. It's very unique. And there's been some copycats since we started, but it's still a very, you know, like fresh message. And one of the things that I think is so neat about it is it's, it's like a magnetic force. To back to your question, Chris, yeah. it attracts people like the Carols of the world that are looking for that, that have been in the commercial real estate industry for 32 years and have never felt like they found their home, their place that was aligned with their values. And then they hear about us and they go, oh my gosh. They're wrapped up in the grinder. Exactly right. Yeah. But it also repels. And yet, and yet their heart is desiring something different. Yeah, they're conflicted like I used to be. Yeah. Right. If this had already existed, I would have just joined it. Right. But it didn't. So I had to go create it. But it also rejects the people that are not a good fit in a large part because like a, like an anti-magnetic force, because they hear our message and they think it's squishy or they think it's soft or they think it's whatever, you know. And so do we get it right all the time? No. But do we have a an unbelievable group of people that care? and that go above and beyond and work as a team and have fun doing it, yeah. And it's yeah. just a cool experience to be a part of because I've never seen a commercial real estate firm like that ever. And I've, right. seen, I've seen a lot. <clears throat> well, it, it strikes me as uh, fortuitous that at a fairly young age and a fairly early in your career, you, you decided to take this jump and do this transition because it does, I mean, we live in such a world of instant gratification any, you know, the typical person that's here is, yeah, it's going to take five years before you see any benefit. They'll be like, I'm not going to take five years. I need that now. Yeah. You know? So it, uh, kudos to you for doing it. But also, thankfully, it was when you were still early in your early enough in your career that you have a lot of time now to spread that message. Yeah. And I don't know, man. I don't know if I was just bullheaded and dumb I mean, there was a part of me that saw the value in it. You know, there was a part of me that saw the savvy business sense in helping people, right? There was this, there's, there's reciprocity that, that everyone sort of gets at a deep level. And I thought, wow, if that really does work, then I don't have to behave this way. I can do what I love doing. And I actually do believe in reciprocity. So there was that. But part of my journey, and I talk about it in my book, is... I had to go from looking at service as a tactic to truly just serving to serve. And that was why it took so long. So part of what we teach at Kaiser is we help really shorten that. All right, I, it took me five years because I'm a bullheaded guy that had to figure it all out on my own. But now there's a lot of that that when people plug into the Kaiser system, they don't have to wait five years to make money because that's a pretty ridiculous business model, right? Yeah. <clears throat> And it, but it, I, I do see that, uh, and it, it's amazing you've been able to shorten that time. But I, I look at my career, and you know, obviously, reciprocity is a big deal in politics. Um, but I, and this is something I say to, to people, particularly if they work on Capitol Hill, is you've got to treat everyone with respect. You need to love everyone. You need to. You are all in this together because it's the right thing to do. And you don't know that that intern that you might mistreat is someday going to be the head of government affairs for a big corporation that you're going to need. Yep, exactly. You know? um, and, you know, that, that, was, that was a principle that I lived when I was chief of staff uh, on the Hill was I, I tried to be as 
loving and kind to everyone that I could because I, I feel like that's part of who I am. But I also recognize that, you know, I need to do as many favors for people as I can because someday I might need a favor. Yeah. And that's what I mean by there's a practical truth in it. And what I teach is falling in love with the act of service hmm. without keeping track or thinking about how it's going to pay back. Because I think everybody sort of gets that. But if you lose yourself in service, now I'm not saying just go stand on the street corner and anybody that has, I mean, you have to be strategic, right? You only have so much time. So the question then is doing what you're doing, the people that you have to naturally interact with anyways, rather than coming to that interaction from a what can I get, you come to it from a what can I give? Keeping no track, leaving. Imagine all the good we could unlock yeah. in the world if everybody tried their best in every interaction to help the person across from them. Think about what we could do as a society. And so the question is, why? Why do we not do that? Why do we withhold? And I believe it's because we were our our whole business model. It 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 was built on this idea of scarcity. And yeah. I don't believe in scarcity. I believe in abundance. I believe that more begets more. And so as a result, you can't, like when somebody says, hey, don't people just take advantage of you then? I say it's pretty hard to take advantage of somebody that's doing something of their own free will. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So by that, I say, I, I, within that, embedded in that means service has to be a choice. And this is something I talked about with, talk about with people all the time. Any kind of... I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, hey, I need you to do this for me. And I say, thank you for the opportunity and no. And they say, hey, I thought, but I thought you were the service guy. I said, I am. And no, right? So service has to be a choice. And if you can't say no to a request, then it's obligation. And if it's obligation, it's not really service because just a duty and now you're stuck in the whole thing. Yep. And so I think that's part of the problem is people don't have enough, people don't, Business leaders, like my, my community that I'm tar targeting is business leaders, right? This message is good for everyone, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a guru. I'm a business guy that's saying, look, if I can do this in the crazy cutthroat world of commercial real estate brokerage, you can do this anywhere, right? So, so if I can show you what I've learned along the way, making more mistakes than not. And if I can teach you and help you get to the place where you can do this yourself and you can create success for yourself, because that's the goal. The goal is showing more people that the more they serve, the more they get. And the more people do that and the more they experience that, the more that others will do that. Because my goal is a world where people selflessly help each other regardless of personal gain, not because it's the right thing to do, even though it is, but because they get at a fundamental level that it's their own personal best interest to do so. And that's the fun part, right? The fun part is watching the light bulb go on with people. Even when we serve people at Kaiser, you know, like, you know, we're the largest independent tenant rep firm in Arizona. We do office, industrial, healthcare, retail. We do work all across the country. Every time somebody experiences what it's like to be delighted by someone who goes above it, I cannot tell you the kind of stuff that comes in you know, the kind of, wow, your people are amazing. Let me tell you what blank, 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 and what they did and how they did it. So it's, 
it, it, it's that therein lies the embedded self-interest. We're doing it because we want to, that's who we are and that's what, we, what we're all about. But we create these empowered ambassadors where everywhere we go, like back in the day, I used to try to get people to say nice things about me and nobody would because I was a dick, right? <laughs> now I don't even care and I walk around and studs like you say nice things about me, you know? Why? Because I have stopped living my life for myself. My life is there to serve others, my people, my community, my family, my clients. And so I think the the like everything things are the 180 degree opposite of what we attempt. It's like the more we run towards something the more it runs away from us. And so for me, this whole mindset is so inherently obvious. We do this in our homes. You love your daughter and son. I see it all the time, right? We we know how to love. We know how to serve. We know how to go, go above and beyond for people. So why is it that then when it's time to get to work, we leave that skill set at home, put on our tough suit, and go fight, fight, fight for number one? Yeah. It's like... What if the same skills that we already inherently naturally do that bring us joy and bring us uh, amazing relationships, what if we just applied those in business? Like, and why is, why is me sitting here in 2021 talking about this so revolutionary, right? right? I mean, to me, that's kind of insane. Like this is, this is simple truth across. If you look at, I have a, at Kaiser, I built this wall where it has leaders from, across gener- you know across time across religion across everything you know from socrates to you go down the list to martin luther king i've been there it looks it's, it's amazing real, it's amazing right? and it's they really all cool. say the same thing some version yeah. of help others and it comes back so all i'm trying to do is take so like i'm some genius wanted i didn't come up with it it was given to me but i'm just trying to be one of those people that are out living it saying this could be you too and oh, by the way, I used to be miserable, and this is what my life used to look like. And now I love people, people love me back, and it's this ex- ex- extraordinary experience, and I also make good money. Like, that to me, if that was, if that became mainstream, imagine the business world, imagine yeah. the opportunities, imagine the experiences people would have instead of everybody being stressed out, you know, you self-medicating, Kicking the dog, screaming at their kids. I mean, there's a better way. Well said. Definitely a better way. What, uh, how did, I mean, I've, when COVID hit and you saw all these things, all businesses, you know, go under, you know, my first thought was, wow, the commercial real estate industry is going to take a walloping. Hmm. What, what's been your, your biggest takeaway and how are you approaching as we're coming out of the COVID uh, lockdowns and the, the challenges? How, how did you approach it during? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, this idea of service and, and this idea of, of caring for your customers, like I'm sure a lot of them were like, how's this going to work? Yeah. We, we, we have, there's nobody in our buildings. <laughs> we, we don't know what we're yeah. supposed to be doing. Yeah. I mean, it's good questions. So number one is, the commercial real estate industry has and is taking a beating. So that's point number one. Um, And no one's immune. For me, it was a cool opportunity to, one, 
look for the good in everything. I became like a wartime president almost, you know? Where's the opportunity? How do we help? How do we serve? My book had just hit number one in August of 19, and so I had booked all these big keynotes for 2020. So all of those got canceled. So I had a lot of time to pivot, um, and we pivoted instantly. I remember that that faded Friday in March, whatever day that was. I remember the following Monday, I woke up with this feeling of, uh, unusual, by the way, feeling of fear in my in my gut. And I called my coach and we talked through it a little bit. And I just, I saw in like 15 minutes, I just saw, wow, this, I could make this the coolest thing that's ever happened to this firm. And that's, that's the lens through which I chose to look at everything. So I got excited. I said, mm -hmm. where are the opportunities? And I realized that everybody was frozen. So when everybody's frozen and everybody's afraid, that's when they need the most help. So we put together these webinars and we started just reaching out to all these organizations, all these business communities saying, hey, your members are struggling with trying to figure out what to do with their real estate. Let us give you some free advice. So we went from, you know, nationally, we were already making waves, but we went from here to here on the, on the national scene just because we were willing. I mean, I was doing two to three, you know, my team and I were doing two to three webcasts a day talking about rent relief, navigating commercial real estate in these crazy times. You know, because we only represent tenants, we we're coaching tenants on what they could and should do. You know, is this, is this event constitute a force majeure? Can you just get out of your lease? And all? Right. like, there was so much bad information being floated around that, that all these organizations were desperate to have us on board. And we just coached and served and helped. And, um, and it wasn't like a profitable enterprise but it was planting so many seeds and so this year we've been we've been really reaping them and we it's been it's been amazing but i think the other part of it that is has been a challenge is looking at the mental health and so if you just look at the mental health numbers whether they're right or not about one in every two americans now is really struggling with some sort of you know extreme anxiety or depression and that is something where that coached with or are combined with the fact that they're isolated at home created a lot of hidden um, challenges. So I looked at my role as primarily one to be setting the positive direction going forward, two trying to keep everybody from you know losing their minds um, and staying in service. Because one of the things that I've found is that pretty much the answer to any problem is love and serve someone else, no matter what it is. Uh, if you're depressed, try it. Try, yeah. try, try taking a video camera out your phone and saying to someone, just saying, hey, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. You've meant a lot in my life. I love you so much. Like, you can't even, I can't even pretend to do it and I'm already feeling better, right. you know? Yeah. It's like, so, so there's something about the service mentality that's self-healing. And so I think that's another benefit that we had. But again, like I said in the beginning, it also helped us identify who were those people that truly were 
good long-term Kaiser fits. So we've been able to make some good changes, hire some amazing new people. Oh, that's the other thing. We were able to hire some amazing new people that wouldn't have been available before because before it was like you had to have an office in that market. You had to go, you know, set it up and do da da. Now it's like I just go into a market and I just hire hire a person and they're amazing. They can work out of their house. Right. Sure. So it also changed how I look at expansion. But um, it's still, you know, if you look at commercial real estate, there is the pandemic has created typically commercial real estate follows a downturn an economic downturn by six to nine months but all of the stimulus it has extended that so we're still projecting that by the end of the year there's going to be um a decrease in values a decrease in rental rates um th that combined with the fact that just the whole nature of work has changed and yep. most companies are doing more hybrid now taking less space than they did before so we're helping a lot that's part of what we're doing is we have this whole consulting arm where we're helping organizations figure out how they should look on the other side of this because it, it, there's no one size, size fits all. You have to think about your culture. What are the personalities of the people doing it? What are the roles they need? You know, What do they want to do? You have to build all that into a customized solution for the client and then build a real estate environment around that. Right. So it's actually made it more uh, – companies are being much more intentional about their space, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're. Yeah, I'm excited about the future, but it there was definitely some tough days. <laughs> I, can I cannot it. tell you how many projects were put on hold or canceled or whatever the case may be. But it's like you just lean in and and trust that trust that just the more you serve, the more it comes back. What what you describe is 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 really interesting in, in that it's a, it's a type of post traumatic growth mm. in in some respects. I do some work with a veterans charity called the Bouldercrest Retreat and uh, Bouldercrest Institute, and, and the, the science that we help veterans with is this idea of post-traumatic growth that it, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Mm. And so, taking a traumatic event, accepting it for what it is, not for what you want it to be or what you think it should be, but for what it is, and how do we then grow from that? And and you grow f from that through service. Yeah. And, and one, one of the things that we, we teach is, is uh, the veteran community is that just because you're a veteran doesn't mean you stop serving. Amen. It's, it doesn't, just because you left the military doesn't mean that you can't be a service to others. That's beautiful. And, and the same thing can be said in business. Just because we're, we're in a downturn or just because we're having to pivot to a new way of doing business doesn't mean we stop with the the culture, the, the centerpiece of what we're trying to accomplish. Well, I think you... Uh, That's a good point. The, the concept of, of sticking with your principles in the crisis yeah. only strengthens, I think, the, the resolve in making that message stick. Uh, I, I mean, this was clearly just nuts for so many people. Oh, well, and so I, nuts. And I think, I think that... You know, it brings back so many ideas of, of my former life and what we we would preach the same sort of principles. And that is, you know, what are we selling really? I mean, we're selling somebody else's product. It has all these features, benefits. It's all great. But at the end of the day, you're selling the service that you yeah. can bring to that person. Oh, and by the way, I would tell my people this all the time. You walking into that Circle K, and this has nothing, no disparaging to Circle K, and talking with that manager and spending time with that person means more to them because of who you are and the company you represent mm. 
than anything maybe they'll have that day. Yeah, it's true. And I got more compliments of our people of what we would used to do if 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 our people had more time just to spend with those the serving those other people in whichever way they could. Yeah, so. that's beautiful. There's a and it's rare you don't have companies. I mean, because your point, it's so cutthroat. It's it's about so much about results, mm-hmm. about the data that you're delivering yep. versus the hearts that you're changing. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things, Sean, that you said that really resonates as we think about the current environment we're in is, you know, people are longing for a mission today. Hmm. People feel lost. People feel, you know, last year was the year of panic. This year is the year of fatigue, you know, Hmm. post-traumatic stress, exactly what you described. And everyone's making changes because one, they've had time to sit and think and think this is really what I want to do with my life. And, or they associate that organization with the pain they've just been through and they want a fresh start. Right. Um, Hmm. But I think the reality is, is that people are people are yearning to get excited about something again. They're yearning to be up to something big. They're yearning to have a mission that they're thrilled to be a part of. And so that's what I love. You know, our mission is the same. We're going to change the business world through selfless service. Come hell or high water, that's what's coming when you, when you talk to a Kaiser person. And it is so invigorating to be surrounded by like-minded people up to the same mission as you're up to collaborating, working together, trials and tribulations. I mean, I never once claimed this would be easy. I never once claimed this would be a downhill path. I mean, this is, this is a higher calling, right? It's a higher calling to do business the, in my opinion, the right way, loving and serving people ethically, et cetera. Um, and again, we make a lot of mistakes, but it's owning those mistakes, right? If we make a mistake, we don't hide it, pretend that it's somebody else's fault, blame the other person. It's like, we own it, but that, that's why people appreciate us. Cause it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, we made a mistake here, let's fix it. And they go, that's the kind of partner can, I wanna have. Can you yeah. imagine if politicians did that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It would be, life, you talk about changing the world. I mean, and-, and, and Can it, it be done though? I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it sounds, completely absurd right now in this day and age with how, how much vitriol there is. But politicians always follow. They never lead. Mm. So if the business community and other people make these changes, start to change the culture in that regard, the politicians will have no choice but to follow. Mm. Um, I mean, it's no, not necessarily any disrespect to the politicians that we know, but you know, they're they're not leaders because they have to be voted in. <laughs> so they're, it, it's the classic, you know, see where the mobs go and jump out in front and call it a parade. You know, ha, I've never heard that before. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I, yeah, I think it can be done. It's going to take more than five years. Yeah. So, but yeah. but as you've, you know, what what you went through in your own life and then you're projecting that out to the commercial real estate industry, which you're having some impact, obviously the greater business community, 
it's going to take some time. Yeah. And but it will it will trickle down. Um, and I think I, I totally agree. And and what I say all the time, I'm curious what your thought is on the, in the political world. Which, by the way, you know that is the last. I would never get into politics. I still don't understand how people do it. I'm grateful for the ones that do that do it for the right reasons. But but for me, what I'm trying to show is the self interest embedded in in service the self-interest embedded in, 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 in helping other people. So at some level, people are people. And whether or not as a society we're ready for it, I don't know. But to me, authenticity and vulnerability is the name of the game in today's world. Part of what people appreciate, what they say they appreciate about, appreciate about me as a leader is I'm never afraid to say where I screwed up. And oh, by the way, I do it a lot. Yeah. You know how many times I call up somebody after I was a little bit gruff and I go, dude, I'm sorry. I don't know why I was so grumpy. I, I'm sorry. Can, can, I, can we do that over? You know, yeah. It's like I'm not giving them an explanation for why I was justified in my anger or my whatever it is. And they're like, I didn't even notice you're grumpy. I'm, but I knew. You yeah. know what I mean? I wasn't treating them with the love and the service. So you know, th there's a, there is a possibility that in every walk of life, if people see that the more real they are and the more they live their lives to help other people, the more it comes back to them, that inevitably you have to see shifts across all elements of society. And right. you know, maybe that can bring us together as a, as a, as a uh, country. Maybe it can bring us together as a world. I sure hope so. We need it. We definitely need. I mean, it. there's just no question that the path we're on now is not going to work. It's not sustainable. No. Not sustainable. And I have such. I have good friends. I mean, I'm an, I'm an independent, right? I have friends on both sides. I see both arguments. Mm. There's truth in all of it, but the problem is we're so polarized that one side believe, demonizes and believes the other side's evil, and the other side demonizes. And, and so, how do you find common ground? I mean, neighbors that are spitting at each other in yeah. conversations. Don't. It's like, man, are we all? Are we all? One, aren't we all Americans? And even before beyond that, aren't we all people? We're all people. We're all yeah, people. We're humans. We're yeah. human beings. Like, <laughs> right. just love the person. I mean, it might take an alien invasion to get us to be. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but until then, we need to be following your example. Right? But, but you still have hope in terms of. I mean, maybe this is a contrarian view. I don't know. But you, you have certain politicians that take this idea of service, mm. take this idea of, of serving their constituents no matter what party they're in, and do a really good job with it. And they make it a priority of their office. They make it a priority amongst their staff. And, and that culture gets permeated, hopefully, within the district. Yeah. Now, it's been our experience that there's only a handful of folks that really do that and do that well. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's not a party thing. Mm. You know, it really is a reflection on the member. On the individual. On the individual. And, and yeah. what they want, the, what they want to achieve, and well, I think, I think those members are the ones who they might have a tough race here and there, but at the end of the day, they're going to be drawing folks from all over, saying, you know what, I had this issue, and they helped me, and it was great, and the, my experience was wonderful. It was far beyond what I expected. Well, and a perfect example, you'll appreciate this, having been an intern for Deaconcini, when Shadda got elected, and we were setting up the yeah. district office. His comment was, I want to be the Dennis D. Consini of the delegation. Mm. And I was like, what? You're He's like, a Democrat. What are you talking about? And he said he was absolutely known for constituent service. Mm. Yep. Anybody that contacted his office was going to get Yeah, that was the, the hallmark treatment. of what Dennis, I mean, 
that was drilled into all the interns yeah. as well. And and I think I mean I've appreciated where Congressman Shattuck's heart was on that because he didn't care what the issue was or who the person was. He was their representative, and this office was going to help them. And so we had a real amazing culture of service for the 14 years that I was there. Um, and it did exactly what you said, is that there were Democrats who voted for John Shattuck every time because of some constituent it, it, service. It gets into the culture yeah. depending on the leader and, and the, the people he, he or she has around them. And, and, uh, and hopefully it, it becomes part of who they are. May I comment on that? Because I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, what we teach within the Kaiser Institute is reinvention from the inside out, right? So three levels of reinvention. You start with yourself, because like Gandhi says, you gotta be the change you wanna see in the world. So you start here. That's the hardest part for most leaders. Leaders can see the value in having it in their organizations, and they can see the value of their interplay in the community being that way. But when they look in the mirror, that's when it becomes a challenge. And a fish rots from the head, right? So yeah. you have all these organizations where they say one thing and the leader lives another. And truthfully, that is the hardest part because I am a ridiculously imperfect human being, right? I am not, I, I always say, our 15 core operating principles are aspirational and thank goodness, because otherwise I'd be guilty of violating them daily. Sure. but. They're aspirational in the sense that we're all trying to get better at those things. So the, the journey of becoming a selfless leader, which is what we teach, is not an easy path. It's simple to understand, but to actually implement is not simple. Well, I think this is what it was transformational for me, um, was when I got to the point in my life when I realized Yes, I'm imperfect, I have flaws, and I need to own those. I don't need to gloss over them, I don't need to whitewash them, I don't need to not talk about them. Um, because there is such, you know, I grew up in a very strict Mormon household and I, I, you know, played that part and I was very active in the church for many years and there was just this expectation that you do no wrong. And if you do, you don't talk about it. And it wasn't until I took a step back and said, I can't be truly happy and find f actual meaning and, f and fulfillment in life unless I, I own my shit. Mm -hmm. um, and once I did that, you know, I had some big changes in my life, but I found real happiness as a result of that. Hmm. And I think, I think your, I love that story. I think that, I think part of the reason why leaders don't behave that way is because they don't actually see how it is in their own self-interest. I think everything comes back to embedded self-interest. And so if the stuff that we teach our kids, if the stuff that philosophers talked about and religious leaders talked about, if all of this stuff, which if you boil it all down, it's love and serve other people, right? If that's all true, that it can't be true in one place and not true in another place. Right. So the same thing that gives you fulfillment, joy, excitement, happiness, like the squishy stuff, the stuff that business leaders don't want to talk about, like if that gives you that much joy in your personal life, why the hell wouldn't you do it in your business life? Right. So to me, it's just so inherently obvious. I just don't think that enough people, A, see other leaders modeling that. Yeah. I'm trying to do that imperfectly. 
but that's part of the perfection is it's imperfect, but two that are teaching other people how to do it, right? Because you could see it as a vision. When I wrote, wrote the uh, wrote the first rust, blah, 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 blah. when I wrote the first rough draft of my book, I called it disruptive, and. There's still a few. I still have a coffee. There's still, yeah, there's still a few <laughs> floating out around out there. But I just printed three thousand. I gave it to friends like Sean, looking for feedback. And what the number one piece I heard is this is visionary and it's and it's exciting, but it doesn't give me the how. So that's what we did is we we took a whole bunch of how and embedded it in the book, which became you don't have to be ruthless to win. And so if more of us are willing to one model this behavior. Like, like to me, John Mackey is one of my greatest heroes. I mean, an organization like Whole Foods, built on service, built on culture, all from a guy who is arguably the most selfless person I've ever met. He, it, but he's not weak. He's not soft, right? Right. But, but he is so selfless, and he cares about everyone else, and in in, in, including the environment, including animals. And I mean, like the guy's got the biggest, biggest heart. Um, but he still is a very successful entrepreneur. And there's a whole bunch of these of these companies and organizations and leaders that have congregated around this conscious capitalism community, which is why I love it. Because when I walked in, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's other people like me here. Um, and so the more of that that we can, whether it's through conscious capitalism or not, the more examples of leaders that are doing it this way and are not afraid to say this is what we're doing and are willing to plant their flag and say this is what we stand for and it's not just BS words on a wall – it's ones that they're personally willing to be accountable for. That's where I think we enact change. And then the only other point I would make on that is, as a lesson learned, it's interesting when you start a company that's based upon very clear principles because what you see happening is what you see happening across every set of principles, whether it's religious or philosophical in the past, is people start to weaponize them. Right, they start to use them as ways to point out the flaws in others yep. versus to self-improve. So I had to have a very stern conversation with our team last year as I saw that developing. Like, people, mm. these are not designed for you to judge someone else. Let them worry about themselves. Let me worry about them. Why don't you worry about you? Because for everything you come to me and tell me how they're not being principled, name it. You're probably not being principled, name it. So worry about yourself. Mm. Focus on you. Take the log out of your eye. Take the log. <laughs> Remove the log. Don't worry about the spec. Yeah. That's great. But I mean, I, it, there's, there's, nothing more, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing an act of service have an impact on someone else and then realizing that that actually puts food on your table. That is the coolest thing. The fact that I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. Like... Sure, I talk about commercial real estate topics all the time. Sure, yeah, yeah, of course. But what people really want me to talk about is culture, is service. How does it work? How do you do it? And that's really the joy. That's the joy is helping other people experience joy, fulfillment, success, satisfaction, contentment in their own lives by learning that they can have everything they ever wanted if they just give it everything away. Yeah. So you had a uh, you had a baby during the pandemic. I as, did. As we did. Um, how was that going? Awesome. Keeping Cute. you young. Cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Six months old now. Six months. Yeah, little sailor. 
Yeah, I, I literally feel like a blessed, blessed person. And it doesn't have anything to do with what I got, what I get, what, I'm, what I've accomplished. It's, it's the experiences that I have. I, <clears throat> I was just uh, out the other day and my wife likes to make these sweet comments to me. She's just being nice, but sometimes I take them to heart. Um, and she said, Jonathan, everywhere you go, like sure there's people that know a lot of people, but that's not you. Everywhere you go, you know a lot of people that love you, right? That you're like constantly hugging people. And my kids notice that too. They're saying, dad, like, like, is that one of your best friends? I'm like, no, but, but I love that person, you know? But the right. interaction is, is as if I grew up with this person. And it's like, that to me is, that, that is my joy. It's yeah. the relationships. Everything else is nonsense, yeah. right? How much money in the bank? Who cares, right? People that you love, that would do anything for you, that you do anything for, spread out all over, that every time you have an interaction, it's joyful and exciting, and you're like, how are you doing, right? And then, oh, by the way, they also send you business that you get, to, I mean, it's, it's just exceptional. And if everybody got that, and if everybody actually lived that way, think about what we could do as a world. That'd be amazing. We would eraticate so many of the challenges we have we have, if we could just unlock the good, if we could just stop fighting, if we could just stop like figuring out how everybody else is all screwed up, like what if we just said, man, we're all doing the best we can do? Yeah. You know? It's like they're just a human like you going down this thing called life. They're not bad. You're not bad. Why don't you just figure out how you can help that person? Some of the people, I have friends that people go, how in the world are you guys friends? And I go, how are we not friends? Right. Yeah. You know, they're a human. I like that about them. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're from. In fact, I actually like it a little bit better if you're an interesting person that brings life experience to me that I'm not familiar with because that just grew me as a person. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to a, a radical idea and that is you know, that we're all children of the most high. And if if we if we cease to see one another in that in that way, then then we're just we're missing the the miracle. Yeah, it's and, like and we're that's all that's how that's how connected. Learn to look at it. I yeah. didn't look at that before. I I, I I relate with your with your story, especially early on. I mean, it was it was the relentless pursuit of more. Yeah, and leaving leaving the house with a mask. And feeling I had to be one way at the office and another way when I got home, so that's a. I think I think a lot a of metaphorical masks, just to be <laughs> yes. clear, because it's, yes. it is pandemic times. Yes, a metaphorical <laughs> mask. But 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 so many leaders, so many CEOs feel like they have to be that way. Yeah, and and if they would just surrender Agreed. to this idea of service. And that's really the good word for it. Surrender is a good word because you have to let go. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard to feel like. I remember at my at my peak, I was doing fifty to fifty five acts of service personally a day. Because every single person that I sat down with, I would try to find three to five ways, and I tried to err on the side of five. Three is the magic number, by the way, for anybody listening. If uh, if you try to help somebody one time, yeah, it's pretty good. But two, you're getting there. Three, there's something about the power of three. Sure. Once you do three unnecessary, kind, generous acts for someone else, you've just shifted 
It's like you can feel the, the power in the universe shift. You've just created something there between you and that person that's really special. Um, and I've found that those people then tend to replicate that with others. You know, so well, it's a ripple effect. And that's the beautiful thing, part of that is it, it is def, it's a contagious ripple effect that, that is why it has the power to change the world, literally, yes. as we extrapolate this out. I mean, that's, that's why it's important. Yeah. Yeah, my kids were, and I were watching the Suns game the other day, and a commercial came on about like helping other people and doing the right thing. And my kids were like, I wonder what this is for. Like, what, what is, what is, who's the guy paying for this behind the scenes? And it came up and it was just like, you know, something for a better world or something. And I'm like, that was awesome. Like, that was amazing. I don't know who that was or what it was, but that was cool. Foundation for a better world. I think. Something or like foundation that. Foundation for a better life or whatever. I know. just feel like this stuff is not. Brought to you by the Ad Council. <laughs> this stuff is not squishy. You know, we're in a we're in a hyper competitive, take no prisoners, you know, winner take all kind of environment. And you know, people throw everything in the kitchen sink against us trying to beat us in the marketplace. You know, so it's not like this is some like sitting in a corner humming, meditating, and. You know, it, it, it's the real world that I live in. Sure. And we win some and we lose some. But the reality is, is that I believe that what I need is given to me precisely when I need it. So I'm utterly peaceful and trusting in the present moment, right? Like you said earlier, yeah. Sean, loving what is. Byron Katie style. It's like, why would I be in resistance to what is? That's insanity. Right. But that's what everybody's doing right now. Everybody's in resistance to what's going on in the world. What if we just accepted it doesn't mean we can't do something about it but what if we didn't you know masochistically self-torture ourselves about what's going on in the world and the news and then and then and collapse a building here and world war over here and this and that's like yeah there's a lot of bad in the world but what you focus on is what you become so what do you want to be do you want to be angry and upset and frustrated and and stressed out all the time we only get one time around this you know we only get one run at this deal yeah this yeah. isn't a warm-up life well and it really that that and if there's been anything that the last year and a half has done is it's is because of the pandemic and because there was so much bad news and because people were cooped up inside and all they could do is watch tv yeah. i think it just exacerbated that yeah just completely like closed in and lost control yeah but you lost are, control I'm, of their own life but, that's a great great point because you know what i'm finding i'm i, I actually this is more of a, a question for the group like I'm finding that now that people are out, now that people are finally getting out after a year of being cooped up, they don't know how to act. <laughs> They've lost some social <laughs> skills. They, they, I mean, people are angrier. Yeah. They're meaner. They're they're more in your face yeah. about almost anything. Um, and I, I, I and I and I I witnessed this at a at a Diamondbacks game several weeks ago. Everyone was just on edge yeah. about every little thing. Everybody's stressed out, and man. and it's a sad, sad commentary where yeah. we are. <clears throat> just and that's why that, that's why that's why we need more. Of, well, uh, I think what you just said, this idea of service. Yeah, that and you know what you're letting in is yeah. what you know. So I could I could read the news first thing in the morning, or I could create who I'm going to be regardless of what's happening outside of me. Exactly right, because I I believe that I create myself every day. Here's who I choose to be, regardless of what feedback or non-feedback I get, right? I choose to be this, not whatever tells me. Most people are reacting versus being proactive. And so shut off the negative, 
right? Only engage. I refuse to say anything negative about anyone. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I don't speak ill of anyone. Sometimes I slip and then I correct myself. Oop, that, because I don't want that kind of energy coming out of me. Right. And because that becomes me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a weird thing to say, but it's so true. It's like, I remember the first time I did the 30-day positivity challenge. And I did that as a company, and it changed my life. Hmm. I had no idea how much negative I was speaking. It was mind-blowing. <laughs> and then I said, well, what's the next level on this? And I thought, uh, what if I looked at everything as a gift? Hmm. So that's the way I live now, is everywhere I go, I look for how whatever occurs is a gift. And sometimes it's hard to find. But if you force yourself to look through that lens on everything that happens, whether it's you win the lottery, gift. Whether you're stuck in traffic and you're gonna be 45 minutes late to your meeting, gift. Your mom gets cancer, gift. Like if you bring a mindset of this is a gift, I may not be able to see why, but I'm just gonna be grateful for it and I'm gonna send positive mojo, it's unbelievable. At the end of the day, all we have, Chris, is our experience. Well, what you're talking about again is this radical idea of surrender, yeah. and and no, and accepting the fact that control is an illusion, yeah. and 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 so how we are in ourselves and how do we are towards others, um, you know that that one hello that you give to mm. this one person in the morning might be the most kind, generous thing that person receives all day. Yeah, yeah, and you never know how that's going to affect that person. Yeah, you know, and and I've I've always remembered that for some reason, and uh, so that's, but it's you know I, I I'm really involved with with the halftime institute. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with Bob Buford no. and the and the book Halftime, mm -hmm. and that's this idea that you go from the first power of your life, trying to build your success. Oh yes, I have heard of this book, and then you reach a point in your life where, you're, and you reach this point, early on where how do I become more significant? Mm. Like, what is my legacy? What is my purpose? Mm -hmm. And and some CEOs, some leaders make that transition. But the real task is surrender. That's that's the secret sauce, and it's probably the hardest thing for people to learn. And it's a daily thing. It's it not is. Like oh, it I've is. surrendered, and right. so now it's easy. It's no, like no, no. It's a daily thing. It is you so have to hard. Express, yeah, you have to. You you view everything as a gift. I, my version is I am I demonstrate or try to do a gratitude practice. I do gra gratitude practice every day, but try to see the things that as the things that I'm grateful for. I mean, I I try to view everything through the lens of gratitude. Yes. What. Uh, <clears throat> What do you have any daily practices by you know life hacks anything tips that you that you would offer up? I mean, I think everybody's different, so I'm always really cautious to say, "Hey, I got the world figured out." Um, so these are for me, but I have my created declarations that I revise constantly, but they're who I decide to be in any given situation. I call them my I am statements. So anything you say after I am is a command to your body to become that. So I will never say something after the words I am that's a negative thing. Hmm. I would never say I am, I can't even say it. Right. Whatever you want to fill in the blank. So everything I say is from that place. And so for me, look, I look at it as putting on a set of glasses. So when, I, when I'm waking up in the morning, well, one of the cool things about uh, Microsoft Word on your phone 
is that it actually reads it to you now. I used to have to record it in my voice, which is still good, but since I change them constantly, I'm constantly updating them. Um, I love it. I'll just tap play, and while I'm waking up, it'll it'll be me describing myself, who I choose to be, and so that's one. Uh, two is the not speaking negative about anything or anyone, never complaining. I have no complaints, mm -hmm. right? Like, no matter what's happening, and people say to me all the time, like, man, you, you've had a lot of hard stuff in your life. And I go, well, that's one way to look at it, right? I feel like my life is full of blessings. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I, I dance on butterflies and roses all day. I live in the real world. Um, and I also, I also really try to prioritize keeping my headspace positive and part of what that means is I don't hang out with negative people. Yeah. I don't engage in gossip and, you know, negative talk about self or others. And when I start feeling down, which is natural for everyone, I I have certain things that I do. So for example, if I'm if I feel off, I'll either go work out because there's nothing like a workout. I'll get in the sun. That vitamin D makes such a difference. I will send love to other people. Again, the magic three, right? I'll tell three people how much I care about it, how much I appreciate it, and all of a sudden I'm feeling better, right? Or I'll fill my mind, or all the above, or I'll fill my mind with something that is encouraging, right? Something like the, like if, if everybody went out and read Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, like every time I'm feeling really like, oh man, things are tough, I go listen to that book and I'm like, oh man, everything's fine. You yeah. know, it's all good. So, you know, having a routine to keep you from spiraling. And I think what most people do is they don't and they just follow that spiral. And then who knows when that death spirals over. So having mechanisms to quickly get you back into your your mindset um, are are a few th are a few things for awesome. me. Awesome. Yeah. Good advice. That's great. We could go on forever. We but could. We've yeah. been at this a while. We gotta we let could. you go. But uh, where where can people find you? Like if they if they're loving what they're hearing, what what can um, they do? Kaiser.com, K-E-Y-S-E-R.com. Um, you know, so many companies need advice on what they should be doing on their real estate right now. We'll give you a free look. We'll just tell you, give you some free advice. Um, if you're interested in the book, you can go to, you know, Amazon, you can go to Ruthless ruthlessbook.com oh, slur my words <laughs> um, and uh, you know we're also doing a lot on the institute side and on the workshop side so in addition to if you need somebody to take a look at a lease or help you figure out your commercial real estate situation if you're interested in learning more about how to develop a cultural selfless service just call us. It's 602-9-KAISER, 9-K-E-Y-S-E-R. So that's our main number. Call us and we'll get you in touch with uh, people from our institute. And But again, the best thing you could do out of this talk is just find ways to love and serve other people, you know, and just be, be intentional about it and, uh, and stick with it. Don't quit. Awesome. That's where the value comes. No question. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, pleasure thanks so much. Mine. For, thanks so with much. These two studs. <laughs> Man. Great to have you here. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks thank you. Me. All right. Thanks, everybody.